You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Welcome and happy Mother's Day to all of you. Uh, This morning, uh, Jess Smith and I are going to be team teaching a message for Mother's Day. Uh, We're going to dip early into the book of Genesis and look at Eve. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis 2. And because I know you're overachievers, don't start answering this question yet, why did God make mothers? Because the internet has provided us an answer out of the mouths of elementary school children. Why? She's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. And mostly to clean the house. What ingredients are mothers made of? God makes mothers out of clouds and angel hair and everything nice in the world and one dab of mean. (laughs) There was a budding theologian in the group who said they had to get their start from men's bones, then they mostly use string, I think. (laughs) Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? Well, that's easy. We're related. (laughs) And God knew she likes me a lot more than other other people's moms like me. (laughs) We want to pay special attention to mothers this morning by looking at the life of Eve in Genesis. Uh, Eve's an appropriate woman to talk about this Mother's Day since she's the first mother of the Bible. She's also the first of all women and the last of God's creation. Only two people, the man and the woman, according to the account in Genesis, were made with God's own hands. She was the completion of all that God declared to be very good. Also, her story is not too dissimilar from ours and most of yours. It's a story of love and pain, failure, and God's promise. Failure. That's perhaps the best, how Eve is best known. She was the first to choose her own path, not following God's direction. You see, God had put them in a wonderful garden, that man and woman. And we read in Genesis 2, 16, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And before we even start, we need to remember this isn't about trees and it isn't about fruit. It's about God and humankind and our choices, His promises, His grace. But in that garden where that was with this one instruction, we read in the account that, uh, that the serpent tempted Eve. And as a result of that temptation, we read, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate. She ate the fruit the serpent tempted her with. And in doing so, 
She was the one who experienced the tragedy of the world's first taste of sin. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is falling short of what God's holiness is and what his expectations are. Well, for her, from a practical standpoint, part of the tragedy was that God provided the perfect environment. He had given them everything that they needed. The man and woman lacked for nothing. They were created in innocence. There was no prior leaning to rebel. There was no orneriness that sort of rose up in them like it does, I know, for me. Another part of the tragedy was the devastating consequences for the world. It would never be the same again. Death spread to all after, after it entered the world through sin. So that our bodies, growing old, lose vitality and eventually stop because sin entered the world. My wife and I discovered, not too many years ago, the problem of sleep injuries. That's when you go to bed and you're perfectly healthy and you wake up the next morning and something hurts. Something doesn't work right. We never knew that. Most of you on the younger side don't know that. But some of you have experienced that, right? Yeah, that's the body growing older, starting to creak more. We read that all of creation groans and suffers waiting for the redemption of God. For the man and woman personally, the experience was jolting. It had to be. We read they were created naked and not ashamed. That freedom from shame was now gone. And as they huddled in the bushes, grasping at leaves to cover themselves, to hide from this new sensation of shame that was washing over them, it was, their, it was in a way the very first taste of death itself. Shame. Then hearing God in the garden calling, where are you? The man replied, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid and hid myself. Having never before known fear, they now met what would be their lifelong companion. What would it be like if we could live for a week with absolutely no fear? Neither you nor I nor the man and the woman would ever know. Fear stalks us and whispers to us around every corner. We have people uh, in this congregation who struggled with mental disorders, depression, bipolar disorder, general anxiety disorder. And I'm just talking about me, my wife Julie, and our daughter Melanie. But we have. We've struggled with those. Is it any coincidence that all of those leave you in a very dark place, racked with irrational fears? And maybe the saddest thing of all, it leaves the people that love us racked with rational fears about our our, uh, illness. Fear is here because of sin. This change that came over humankind as a result of the sin in the garden, allowing sin in, and death by sin. 
as his terminal physical illness. But beyond these consequences, God also had a few judgments to give. But you're going to have to come back in a few weeks when we cover this section completely in our Genesis study for us to talk about all of them. But I just want to focus in on one verse. It's the sort of anti-judgment verse. It's when God, in the middle of sort of talking to the serpent about the judgment that was coming there, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, when you read enmity, you need to think hostility, hatred, and war. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. When you see seed, think offspring. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So in the middle of these judgments, God, as we have found in our lives, comes in with a promise, comes in with grace, comes in with mercy for these two humans who have disobeyed. And he says, there's going to be one that comes, that he shall bruise your head, is referring to the woman's seed. The woman's seed and the serpent's seed are going to be at hostility. He shall bruise you, God's talking to the serpent, on the head, crush your head, and you shall bruise or crush him on the heel. A promise. A promise that sometime down the line, God is going to bring an offspring that is going to defeat the serpent that's going to uh, bring life instead of death, that's going to reverse this. Just a promise, not a full explanation, but that man and woman's heads had to have turned. And they perked up hearing that. Because after this we read, Now the man called his wife's name Eve because... She was the mother of all the living. She's going to be the mother of all the living. Life was going to come through this seed. Shame, fear, and death had entered the garden, had become part of their experience, but God has now offered hope. There would be one. There would be a child born from the offspring of Eve, who would do battle with and destroy the serpent. And because of that, Adam honored his wife with a living name. The name Eve, living, the mother of all the living. You know, as nice as that is, and that's a nice message, the story doesn't end there. Eve experienced that failure in life. And I think we can identify with that. She also experienced the tragedy of the first taste of death itself. So that's the second way in which we're like her. We have failures in our lives. And we experience, have experienced, the death that is in this life. 
We all know the pain that comes from circumstances beyond our control, like losing someone we love. You know, in the decades to follow, you have to know that Eve experienced the consequences of death, including the profound sadness as her firstborn son murdered her second son. And that firstborn son was then banished. Her family was wiped out. She had named her firstborn Cain because I have received a man from the Lord. Cain didn't turn out to be that seed, that man from the Lord that was going to fulfill this promise. Abel may have, but not when he's dead. And Cain can't when he's banished. In the decades beyond that, she came to realize that her sin and Adam's sin would not stop with them. It was passed on to their offspring. Throughout her life, she undoubtedly saw many of her children die, perhaps some others by murder, but certainly many more by accidents and animal attacks, exposure to the elements and natural disasters as the world around them turned against them. The pain of death returned to haunt Eve again and again. So Eve must have felt like she hit a brick wall during these losses and, you know, with sin and fear visiting her again and again. The first experience of human death in all of creation must have been shocking and in April of last year my little family hit a brick wall as well we had entered parenthood by having Calvin 16 months earlier and it was an easy pregnancy and Calvin has always been very healthy and we decided we wanted to have another child or more and um, we wanted to see the desire in our hearts which is the promise of a growing family come to fruition but a few weeks into the pregnancy we found out that we lost our littlest one and it was a shock to us as Josh he said it, it was like a brick wall and um, we had entered parenthood so easily and we felt like we were just right on track and so we spent six months processing and healing before finding out that we were expecting again and then shortly we found out we had lost that baby as well and we were confused and bewildered but we knew through it all that God was teaching us about himself and drawing us near to himself and through it all we wanted to honor those tiny little lives that became a part of our family and so we named our babies glory and grace because we believe that through his grace we will enter into his glory and in that day we will all be whole and our whole family will be united in his presence and then one month later, we found out about our fourth baby, and we prayed, and we just clung to him, and we, and, um, but the pregnancy continued, and we saw our uh, future continuing in the form of our family growing. And so Miller Osmond Smith is due to be born in two or three weeks, not right now. <laughs> <laughs> he was not early, so you're good. Um, so we are getting to see that part of God's promise for our life, um, which is our family continuing. Um, and our children have become even more precious to us than we could have ever imagined. And, and through our losses, we gained a clearer picture of who God is and just how deep is our need of him. And through our dependence on him, we've gained an eternal perspective um, of his, you know, his kingdom to earth and our part in that and our family's part in that.
And so continuing to reflect on Eve, I'm naturally reminded of Mr. Rogers because, you know, he teaches us a lot if you haven't watched him. So there's an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in which dear old Fred takes us, his television neighbor, to the shoe store with him. Now he greets the owner who is a longtime trusted friend and knows his shoes. And Fred wants a pair of fancy new wingtip dress shoes. He really wants them. The owner looks and has to disappoint Fred because when they try it on, the shoe doesn't really fit. And not wanting to sell his friend a poor fit, he finds another style and he says, try this, I think you'll find it better. And upon trying them on, Mr. Rogers is very surprised to find that he loves this new style of shoe, even though it wasn't quite as fancy as he wanted. He decides to even wear them home and puts his little sneakers in the shoe box and takes them home. Fred explains, they're different than what I expected, but I think I like these better. He knew his friend, the shoe salesman, was trustworthy and wouldn't sell him something that wasn't right for him. And he says, my friend wasn't afraid to disappoint me by selling me something that fits me better. Um, In the same way, God gives us something better than we expected. So... And thinking of mothers, and as we enter motherhood, we enter into a trust relationship with God. Your hands are like this to the Lord. He holds the past, present, and future, our hopes, our dreams, our fears. And it can overwhelm us, or we can let him overwhelm us with his promises to protect and provide and bring good out of all that happens through his grace and his perfect will. We can know that no matter what happens, he is still good, and he still loves us. So Eve was the first mother, and as mothers, we know just how deeply our hearts can break. Um, We're watching our heart walk around outside of our bodies, so it's a little vulnerable. And I I can't imagine just how she felt or how she thought she would get her through this experience, but she relied on God, and she trusted that he would fulfill his promises, um, even though it had started looking differently than she expected and more difficult. Through that experience, she had an opportunity to get to know God, and more of his fullness to get to know herself more deeply as a mother and recognize her great dependence on him. And she also got a chance to see just what children are, precious gifts from God that do not belong to us. (laughs) They belong to him, and he grants us the opportunity to love them and nurture them as we continually try to just point them back to the Lord because that's ultimately where they're all going, to bow before his throne, overwhelmed by his glory and his grace. Thanks, Jess. I believe Eve saw that similar hope beyond the physical death that she saw within her family. She saw the truth of Adam's word, that each generation after her carried her namesake. Each generation was another expression of life that brought her closer to that promise. Each daughter through the pain of childbirth brought some new life into the world. And I think Eve took satisfaction in knowing that someday, somewhere, one of her daughters would give birth to that seed that God had spoken of. One of her daughters would give birth to the one who would return life now to God's dying people. One of her offspring would undo all that Eve had done. That's the hope that God gives So I consider Eve a woman of faith, the mother of all the living. She must have comforted her husband and her family through these days. 
Remember the promise, she might have said. Remember the name that I have been given. Put your hope in God. Put hope in the offspring that is yet to come because He will come and He will be our salvation. Eve didn't know, had no way of knowing. But the young daughter of Eve was Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. It was Jesus who, through His death on the cross and resurrection from the grave, was able to defeat Satan, was able to offer forgiveness of sins and eternal life to every one of us who believes in Him, in His promise. We know Eve's faith remained in God's promise because when Seth was born, we read, Eve gave birth to a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You know, each one of us, like Eve, may have sin and shame in our hearts, may have fear of God. You may blame others for it. You can blame yourself. But either way, you see what sin has caused in your life, in your marriage, in your children. You see how it's affected you and them. Adam had named it long ago. It's as inescapable as it is dreadful. Guilt, sadness, sin. You see it grow in your children. You feel its effect on your own body. You see blame and shame of our first parents play out in your own families and your own relationships. But we also pass on the promise. We may pass on those, that brokenness down from generation to generation, but we also pass on the promise. Our promise is the one that looks back in faith to the same event that Eve, the mother of all living, looked forward to in faith. That was Jesus. And his sacrifice that paid for our sins so that we could have new life in him. It's a verse we hear mostly at Christmas. But Isaiah, talking about Jesus, says, To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He's the one that we put our faith in. He's the one that the promise is about. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for uh, coming in where there was sin and death and bringing life, eternal life, hope, new hope for transformation. Hope in you because you have done it all. You have provided for us and we We accept you, we acknowledge you, and we run to you as our Heavenly Father. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel.
To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.